Hey, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in. We're closing out, finally, our Elephant Eating Ant series. If you're just joining us, we've been exploring biblical wisdom because there's a passage in Scripture that asks us to consider the ant and its ways, and when we do, we become wise. And there's a phrase in American culture that says, how does an ant eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Similarly, there's a question in Christianity that asks, how does a Christian live by faith? One step at a time. So for nearly six weeks now, we've been exploring this path of wisdom in an effort to make the most of our time here on earth. Today we're back in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4. If you have your Bible there with you, you can meet me in Proverbs 4. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, Proverbs is almost directly in the very middle of your Bible. So just open it up to the middle. If you're in Ecclesiastes, you need to take a left. If you're in Psalms, go right. While you're getting there, I want to let you know that we're starting a brand new series of talks next week called One Hit Wonder, and it's going to be awesome. I have it on good authority that the band might even be playing some one-hit wonders. And so you need to grab a friend and bring him to the office or bring him to your home church location. Um, I promise you this is going to be a series that's very applicable, particularly to those who are a little bit wary of organized religion. But first, Proverbs chapter 4. For a message I'm calling, Fix Your Focus. Fix Your Focus. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I, too, was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Listen, my son, accept what I say and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your own way. God, we're asking you to... Make this message come alive through the media of the Internet. We know that you still speak no matter how we hear your word. And so help us gain wisdom. Help us have this life that's not hampered. When we run, we don't stumble. Help us have life to the full because we're trusting in your word and we're doing what it says. Uh, God, help each person this week to have a good week continue to move and impact the world and let us overcome this COVID crisis and let us play our part in making your name famous in this world. Uh, Most of all, God, stir people up 
draw them closer to your son, Jesus. Make us more like him. We ask it in his powerful name. Amen. When Jeremy Winters was 10 years old, he was diagnosed with the degenerative eye disease, Conrad dystrophy, or CRD. The inherited disease causes sight deterioration and often results in blindness. Today, in his 40s, Jeremy is nearly completely blind, but that has not deterred him from doing some pretty audacious things. For example triathlons. Jeremy has become one of the nation's top para-triathletes. Basically, what that means is he competes in triathlons while being tethered to another human being. So think about that. Uh, Matter of fact, just for fun, find yourself a three-foot piece of rope, tie yourself to your spouse, and then one of you blindfold yourself and go to the supermarket and just try and walk around you'll start to get a feeling for what Jeremy goes through. People are going to be like, what in the world is going on? Is this part of COVID now? Or, well, don't worry about what they think, but do take pictures for me and send that to me. Let me know how it goes. Or or try and swim just a single length in a pool. Find yourself a swimming pool, one that's open, and close your eyes and try and swim just a single length. You'll likely get all caught up in the lane ropes and the lifeguard's going to come and rescue you. And again, pictures would be very cool. Uh, Now, if you do either of those things, again, you'll start to get an idea for what Jeremy is going through. Uh, Running a half marathon without being able to see. Uh, Swimming upwards of a mile without any way to navigate the water except for the person, you know, tethered to him telling him what to do. I didn't even talk about the bicycle. So I don't know if you've ever ridden a tandem bike before, but that's hard when both of you can see because you got to lean at the right time and you got to pedal at the same cadence. And I'm guessing you probably saw a a bike parked out in front of a store on vacation and you thought to yourself, oh, this would be fun with my sweetheart pedaling together. And 15 seconds into the ride, you're like, we're totally breaking up. I can't stand this. But they can't even ride a bike. How is this ever going to work out? But I first read about Jeremy's story when a guy named Chad Nikhazy wrote about his experience leading the blind athlete through the Music City Triathlon in Nashville. Catch this. They met for the first time the day before the race. And they had to try and have a few minutes of practice, learning commands, learning how to talk to one another, trying to get used to the tether, which that's a cool story. But in fairness, I've read a lot of cool stories. Yet here's why this particular story stood out to me, because Chad recounts in a blog how he was learning to run and call out commands and and tell Jeremy, oh, we got a slight turn here and a slight turn here, and now we're about to go uphill. Don't know if you've ever been to Nashville. Uh, This last summer I ran 10 miles in Nashville. It was horrible because of all the hills. Uh, It's drastically different than Kansas. But at one point, Jeremy tells Chad, listen to this, don't tell me when we're on hills. 
Okay, I can't see them, so I don't feel them. They don't bother me unless you say something. Isn't that interesting? Because he's focused so intently on one thing, just following his leader. He's not worried about something else, like hills. Jot this down if you're taking notes. When you're focused on this, you don't have to worry about that. When you're focused on this, you don't have to worry about that. That's what I want us to chat about today. Our text uses phrases like, listen, pay attention, take hold of my words. What's that? It's focus. It's an awareness. And when you're focused on this, you don't have to worry about that. And you can get with this or you can get with that. I think you should get with this because this is where it's at. If you don't know what I'm talking about, good for you. That's, that's a good thing. Don't worry about it. But our, our author writes, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Get wisdom, though it costs you all you have. Get understanding. Why? Why is wisdom so important that you should cash out the 401k and take an early draw on the retirement? Well, what's verse 10 say? When you get wisdom and you don't forsake wisdom, and when you're focused on this and not worried about that, then the years of your life will be many, which that sounds like a good deal. I'd spend a few dollars to get a few more years, and so would you. But even if by some tragedy... You did live by wisdom and your years were cut short. Verse 4 says they will be fulfilling. It says you will live with wisdom. So before we fix our focus on wisdom and getting with this, not worrying about that, let me do a quick recap of this series. The first few weeks of the series, I talked to you about following God. That the main first step in wisdom is learning God's wisdom and following Him. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We talked about how the most important decision that you can make in this life is following Jesus. I told you how a life without a shepherd is a life without direction. I took you all the way back to Genesis to prove to you that God is who makes the most sense when it t- comes to creation. And because he created all of this, we should listen to how he says we should interact with the world around us. And I implore you to start chasing after what he says is good, because he designed the world for our joy and his glory. But then the next couple of weeks, we talked about why following the world's wisdom is dangerous. We talked about why conventional wisdom can be a problem. Because conventional wisdom is often just popular thinking, and the problem with popular thinking is it's often wrong. And you know that's true, because conventional wisdom says that you should get a truck with uh, insect repellent, and you should spray that out while you drive through neighborhoods. And my dad told me about how when he was a kid in the Fogging trucks would come through uh, the neighborhood. All the kids would get on their bike and start riding through the fog. And that helped explain a lot of my childhood. But ultimately, what I've been trying to drive us towards is the idea that God has designed the world to work in a specific way, and it leads to joy. 
that when you obtain God's wisdom, the result of that is freedom and pleasure and peace and satisfaction, and it's all the things that you've been looking for. The issue, though, according to our text in Proverbs 4, is when you're young, you generally fail to focus on wisdom because you already know everything. If you're a parent, you see this play out every single day particularly if you're a parent of a teenager, because teenagers know everything. And you tell them they shouldn't hang out with those friends, and they shouldn't date that person, and they need to study for that test, and they don't listen to you. And it often leads to heartache down the road. Think about it just in your own life. How many of the mistakes that you made could have been avoided if you just listened to sound advice? All of them. Yes. And how many of those mistakes caused unneeded strife and hurt and pain? Again, all of them. What's most difficult about that and why it's hard to listen to advice is because it's often it takes years for those consequences to reveal themselves. I mean, how much easier would life be if every time you made a bad decision, the repercussion was immediate? But what if you didn't have to learn that way at all? What if when you walk, your steps will not be hampered? When you run, you will not stumble? Apparently that's possible or God wouldn't have wrote it in his book. And what I find particularly compelling about that is upwards of 700 times in the Bible, life is likened to walking a path. I would contend that when you use a metaphor over 700 times, it's probably because it's the best description for what's going on. And so with the rest of our time together, I want us to explore what we should be focusing on, on this path toward wisdom and our journey toward following God. So first off, I want us to think about how walking a path is basically accomplished by repeated, steady, perhaps mundane dare I even say, boring actions. You're not going to make much progress on a path by somersaulting down the path or by skipping down the path. Why? Because you can't keep it up. If your goal is to go mile after mile, it's right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, boring, repeated, steady progress. There's nothing inherently complicated about walking. You just do it. And just as long as you do the little things, well, the the correct little things, as long as you do the correct little things over and over, you're going to get somewhere. Said another way, when you're focused on this, you won't have to be worried about that. When you're focused on your steps, you're not worried about the path. Now, in my experience, most people like to make decisions based on speed and comfort. Why walk when you can drive? You know what I'm saying? And very few people make decisions based on long-term outcomes. It's why people can justify sleeping with whoever they want and drinking whatever they want and smoking whatever they want and spending money however they want. And they're focused on right now. But that's a shallow thing to focus on. According to Proverbs chapter 4, you can have unhampered straight paths for many years. So why would you settle for something Less than that, because it's easy. We like easy. We'll settle for easy. We'll allow governments to lock us in our homes because it's easy. What if there's a better way? Like, how do we not settle? Well, step one is realizing 
Fixing your focus on this is not about your feelings. Fixing your focus on this path of wisdom is not about your feelings. According to the Bible, what really makes you who you are and what really takes you somewhere meaningful in life is denying yourself. The Bible uses language like take up your cross daily. And uh, it says things like when you lose your life, you'll find it. And outdo one another with showing honor and sacrifice for somebody else. And getting back to our path of life analogy, it's slow and steady that wins the race, right? In that grade school literature, weren't you taught that? Like in kindergarten, slow and steady wins the race. So you don't even have to believe in the Bible to know who you become. Your final destiny in life is basically a product of how you do the little things every single day. Your little choices, your little decisions, your little attitudes, the basic disciplines, the small things, and how you spend your time every day add up to your future. It's not your feelings. It's not the dramatic events in life. It's not even the turning points. Sure, those things make some cool memories to reflect on, but that's not what will create a life worth living. It's why you shouldn't always focus on what it is that you're feeling. I once heard somebody use this acronym. They say focus is follow one course until success. Follow one course until success. That's pretty good advice. It's probably why the Bible likens wisdom to a pathway or a course. Because becoming wise assumes a certain set of daily practices, a certain set of daily repeated things that you're going to do over and over and over, not because you feel like it, but because it's the right thing to do. And when you do them every day and over and over, not only are you wise, but eventually that leads to success. Follow one course until success. In its simplest form, it's just the law of compounding interest. You've heard of it. We know that if you just save up a little bit of money over time, uh, that it turns out to be a large amount of money. For example, if you invested $200 a month and had an 8% return on that investment, which is a, is a fair historical average, 8%, $200 a month at 8%, 30 years, you would have a portfolio upwards of $400,000. That's pretty successful. Uh, catch this. The average car payment in America right now, $550 a month. If instead of buying that new car, you saved $550 a month in 40 years, you'd have $1.5 million. That's a lot of money. Discipline now means freedom later, which the point of my message isn't about money, but it's a good example of the path toward productivity. It's an example of foresight. It's an example of not following your feelings because my feelings say I should spend my money however I want. Uh, But if I discipline myself now, I've got financial freedom later because my feelings often lie to me and make me jealous and tell me I need things that I don't really need. But if I'm focused on this, I'm not worried about that. So if I'm hyper-focused on my own grass, I'm going to see if your grass is greener. So I'll wait for you to type amen in the chat to that. Give me one of those heart things over and over because that's good preaching right there. I'm trying to help you get the most out of life. And when I focus my decisions on all these small things every single day, I realize that's what's going to get me to where I want to go. 
And if I'll read the Bible 15 minutes a day, I can read the entire Bible in under a year. And if I'll pray seven minutes a day, I'll have prayed 43 hours in a year. You tell me sitting at the foot of Jesus for 43 hours, you ain't going to change who you are? Absolutely, God will speak to you in 43 hours in his presence. I'll give you something really simple. Columbia University did a study a couple years ago that showed teens who ate supper with their family at least three times a week were less likely to engage in sexual activity, drug abuse, they performed better academically, plus they were less likely to be overweight. You kidding me? Talk about a simple step that you can take towards success. Supper together? Do you know prior to World War II, the average dinner in America was 90 minutes. You know what it was prior to COVID? 12. 12 minutes that you spent with your family because your feelings said you had something more important to do. But what's the very first verse say? Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I'm telling you right now, I ain't listening to anybody who can only sacrifice 12 minutes of their day for me. And your kids won't either. So we don't focus on our feelings. We focus on our footsteps, the small day-to-day activities that over time will make the biggest difference. That's called being wise. Write this down. Fixing your focus doesn't mean you don't have doubts. Fixing your focus on this wisdom doesn't mean you don't have doubts. I worry that many of you will come to a place in life where you doubt God is there, you doubt God is listening, and instead of allowing that to push you closer into God's presence, you'll allow it to push you further away. We just saw it happen again this week with a popular Christian singer of a Christian band who came out and said he no longer believes in God. I want you to hear me say that doubt is not the enemy of faith. You hear me? Doubt is not the enemy of faith. You know what it is? Certainty. Certainty is the enemy of faith. That's why Jesus was always harping on the Pharisees, because they were certain their way was the right way, and it wasn't. They weren't actually following God's way. The reality is, you need doubts to have faith. Don't you? If you're certain of something, there's no need for you to trust in God. Doubt gives you something to have faith for. When you fix your focus, you actually realize you need doubt to activate faith. Heart, 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 amen, clappy hands. That's why I hate it when people say, well, when one door closes, another opens, and say it with me now, when God closes a door, he opens a window as if we'll stumble upon some secret knowledge by finding the right door or the right window. No, wisdom is never described in the Bible as a door or a window. It's a path. It's a long, patient quest over time. And you frequently wonder, is this the right way? Because that looks a lot safer over there. 
And I kind of like the way that path looks. And I'm looking at my compass and I'm trying to hear from God. And I'm looking at the map. And quite often you think, this is never going to take me where I want to go. When all of a sudden, off in the distance, there's a town. And you're like, how in the world did this even go the right way? You know how many doubts I had as your pastor before starting this church? A lot. I'm ashamed to admit it. But do you know where I can see doubt most clearly in your life? It's in how you spend your money. Most people don't believe that God's actually going to take care of their finances. It's why the average Christian in America only gives away 2% of their income when God's wisdom, God's instruction says at minimum you should give away 10%. Hope you know I'd never ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. And roughly seven-ish years ago, Laura and I made the decision to give away more money this year than we did the year before. So every year we're going to give away a little bit more. And at the time, we did not start at 10%, okay? Uh, But now, in 2020, we're giving away 15% of our income. The reason I use that example is not to say, look at me, I'm some kind of hero, is to say, do you know how strong my faith in God is? Because year after year after year after year, something always happens where he comes through. Just this year, I just got a bill or a letter from my propane company saying my bill's cut in half from now on because I'm not spending money. Uh, as I'm not using as much propane. Like every year, God does something for me to be able to give away a little more. And it doesn't mean we don't have struggles. Laura lost her job this year. That, that's where we were getting our family's health insurance. Don't know if you've ever priced health insurance, dental and vision for a family of five, but it ain't cheap. And then all of a sudden, we've got to rework the budget in order to fit this in. And do you know how tempting it could have been for me to say, I've got 15% of my budget over here that I can reallocate to health insurance? And God surely would understand that health insurance is kind of a big deal. And it wasn't even on the table. That wasn't even a question. That area of the budget's off the limits. We worked around everything else, quite frankly, because I still wanted to be able to stand up in front of you and say, no, God always comes through. And listen to me, God always comes through. When we put ourselves on this path of being generous and denying ourselves Our text says, uh, hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. I'm just trying to help you guard God's principles. Trying to help you put His instruction into your life. It leads to unhindered paths, according to His Bible. In the words of the theologian Bon Jovi, we just got to hold on to what we got. We got God's Word. If you're a Christian, you got God, you got his roadmap. Doesn't mean we don't have doubts. Means when we do doubt, we're going to push deeper into him and who he says he is. We're fixing our focus. Not about your feelings, not about having doubts. What is it about? Fixing your focus on this means 
that we need somebody wise to follow. Fixing our focus on wisdom means we need somebody wise to follow. What's our passage say? Do not set foot on the path of wicked or walk in the way of evil doers. And when you put that text into the backdrop of the rest of the Bible, you realize that Scripture frequently refers to us as sheep. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need somebody to follow. If shepherds simply did what the sheep wanted to do, all the sheep would be dead. So quite simply, the job of a leader is to take people where they otherwise wouldn't want to go. Look at what our author writes in verse 25. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Circle star, underline, highlight, whatever you do. Fix your eyes. That should sound eerily familiar to Hebrews 12.2. In fact, write Hebrews 12.2 off to the side of fix your eyes because Hebrews 12.2 says we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. One translation says the pioneer of our faith. Love the clarity around that language. We fix our eyes. We don't take our eyes off of Jesus. We know where we're going when we're following Jesus. Sure, I might be tempted to go off course because there's shiny things over there and we notice them and we look at them and we say, oh, that looks nice. And then we look and Jesus is still walking straight ahead and we're like, Jesus, there's a shiny new... And he's so we go follow after him. He's leading you on the path of life. That leads to death over there. Why are you settling for that? We've got to focus on Jesus. When we're focused on this, we don't have to worry about that. problem is some of you aren't following Jesus. You thought you were, but when you start analyzing your life in the lenses of Scripture, you realize you're not. Now, others of you are, are hearing about this for the very first time, and, and this is all very new to you. And think back to our boy Jeremy and how he couldn't see the hills, and he wasn't worried about that. Well, when you're following Jesus, you're not going to be worried about the hills or valleys either. When you understand what Jesus does for you, that he forgives your sin, that he takes that away from you, that he makes you new, that he sends his Holy Spirit to take up residence in your life so that you can start following God. There's no other path in life that even makes sense. And so I would beg you to not waste any more time. Start fixing your focus. Start chasing after wisdom. Stop listening to the way of the world. And get in tune with what God is asking you to do. It has nothing to do with you, because Jesus already paid your price. It has everything to do with following him. Fixing your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he makes us new. That he changes our life. That when we start following your path it leads to life. It leads to pleasure and satisfaction and freedom. And it's a hard path. It's a narrow path, but it's the right path. And God, we're asking you to do what only you can do and set our feet back on your path. Get our eyes on your son. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Let us hear from you. Help us live a life of wisdom. God, as we really reflect on 
the daily choices that we make, the little things that we're doing over and over, where that's leading us, uh, convict us where we need conviction. Change our course where we need changing. God, for some people listening to your word today, they haven't followed you. Impress upon their heart to ask for your wisdom and forgiveness because of what your son Jesus died on the did, which is die on the cross. Help us learn to follow in his ways, learn how to love one another, learn how to be good stewards of our lives, be generous, be helpful, help other people see Jesus in us, and freely articulate this free gift of salvation that we were given and that's offered to them as well. If you're one of those folks who've never accepted Christ, we have an opportunity for you to do that right now, to pray a prayer. If you're watching on our newanthem.online.church, you can click the button and get more information about salvation. If you're watching somewhere else, just listen to me very closely. The Bible says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you can be saved. I want you to do that right now, and I'll lead you in a prayer, not because there's magic in the prayer, but because that's what we're going to do, confess and believe. But please follow up with us so we can follow up with you and let us know that you made that decision. And so, God, we're asking you to forgive our sin, make us new, let us follow you. We believe in what your son Jesus did on the cross. We've tried to live life our own way. It hasn't worked. And we want to follow you. Lead us to joy. Lead us to peace. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.